Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Game Dump, the way back when of gaming. In this episode, I take a look back at EA's The Immortal, the punishing dungeon crawler from 1990. Role-playing video games have been with us almost as long as we've had computers. From the simple games of the 1970s that ran on mainframe, to the modern day games we play today. Games that are so detailed, we no longer need to fill in the gaps with our imagination. The RPG genre is the staple of gaming. Some gamers will play nothing else. Others take on a following akin to a rock star. Series like The Elder Scrolls, Dragon Age and Zelda each entry in the series allows us to travel somewhere else. To travel as someone else. Love them or hate them, they have a long history and don't look to be going anywhere soon. Known to be punishing in difficulty and epically long, RPGs are the damn good novels of the gaming world. Impossible to put down and always worth sinking your teeth into. There was one game in particular that always shone like a beacon when looking back on the corridors of the murky past. A game that was so enthralling and imaginative that there was nothing else quite like it at the time. That game? The Immortal, made by Sandcastle. Taking on the role of an unnamed wizard, the protagonist would find a call for help from the mysterious Mordemir, the old master of our mage, begging for help from the equally unknown Dunric leading our mysterious hero to journey deep into the heart of the Labyrinth of Eternity to rescue Mordemir from the dungeons below. A labyrinth that was littered with goblins, trolls and flesh-eating spiders. Not to mention what awaited him at the end of the adventure. But how did the game like the Immortal come to be? With its advanced combat system, intricate puzzles and multiple endings dependent on actions performed during the game, one would think we're talking about a game of the current generation, not one released almost 30 years ago. The game was the brainchild of Will Harvey, a graduate of Stanford University. Harvey was most well known for writing musical construction set for the Apple II, a music composition program that Harvey originally wrote when he was only 15 years old. The software was published by Electronic Arts, a company Harvey would continue to have dealings with and the young programmer was touted for great things. But where does a young programmer go after already achieving so much at such a young age? The answer was into the gaming world. Gaming wasn't like the world it is today. There was no online gaming community, no multiplayer, no online services, and the internet was in its commercial infancy. But that didn't stop young Harvey from aiming for the stars. The original intention of The Immortal was to be an online multiplayer RPG, or role-playing game, where a user would take on the role of a barbarian, a wizard, or an elf, and go off on their quests. But after some initial development, Campaign, the game that would go on to become The Immortal, was turned into a single-player-only experience. Although the game did not reach its lofty multiplayer ambitions, it did incorporate a storyline that, that had what many games at the time lacked, Consequences through story choice. The choices were not as robust and far-fetching as those today. Make a different choice on, say, level 4, 
and the impact would be felt in level 6 and so on. Fantasy role playing games were no new things in gaming. They had existed in the world of text based adventures for quite some time. But the Immortal was one of the first to use a plot driven story to push the game forward. Slaughter what appears to be sword fodder could result in alliances being wiped out later down the line. Even something as simple as picking up a ring, an item all fantasy fans should be wary of getting involved with, could result in an entirely different ending to the game. We've not yet delved deep enough into the plot of The Immortal. The 1990s were an era dominated by platform games and side-scrolling beat-em-ups. A game like The Immortal had more in common with its text-based cousins than its peers on the consoles. Released at first on the Apple II GS, the game would soon be ported over to the Atari ST, the Amiga, the IBM PC and the Sega Mega Drive, Genesis. Even a bloodless port made its way to Nintendo's NES. The game begins with an unnamed wizard standing in a candlelit room. To his right is a circular table that contains a skull and a burning candle. Forming in the smoke of the candle is the face of his former master, Mordemir, thought lost and dead. The image speaks, Dunric, you have come to save me. I am in the dungeons far below, I know I can count on you. The wizard then realises his master is not dead, and this is where he has ended up. But who is this mysterious Dunric he speaks of? The only way to find out is for him to enter the door to the labyrinth, and behind the door the wizard finds a slain fighter, and after rummaging through the dead man's possessions he finds a ring with the name Dunric etched into it, and a scroll containing a spell for fireballs. The goblin tells you not to interfere, and then you are thrust into the first, but certainly not the last taste of combat, you will experience loss down here. The combat in the Immortal stood above and apart from the simple button mashing games at the time. This was a strategic battle where the wrong stroke could result in costing you your life. Our wizard protagonist was clearly handy with a sword. Along with an intricate combat system that involved some skill in bobbing and weaving from attacks, there were various execution animations, from a goblin being cut into two, to the frontal part of the goblin's head being sliced open and the brains falling free of the body. Other times, the wizard's wand would come into play, resulting in the opponent's head exploding from some magic charm. After navigating through the first part of the labyrinth, and then finding a bed of hay to sleep on, like any good role-playing game, your internal monologue would be explained on screen, with your thoughts turning to your missing master. Then you would descend further into the labyrinth below. I think what was so unique about this game was the sheer depths it went to to tell its story. The goblins in the game, although at first appearing to be sword fodder, had consequences for how you interacted with them. Make an enemy of them and it would come back to haunt you. Other choices would result in their help. But this wasn't only your story, it was theirs as well. A war with the trolls was happening all around you. Explanations for their actions have the immortal contain a verisimilitude to make you care about what happened to our hero. It connected you with your protagonist in a way very few games at the time could. The other piece of the mosaic that made this game so good was the sound design and musical score, which you can hear playing now. Were this game made today, it would be treated to a full musical score. 
but with the limitations of the era, the haunting melodies and ethereal gothic soundtrack were reduced to a MIDI file that would sound incredible were it to be remastered and re-recorded using today's capabilities. Quite often, the, this game is called the Dark Souls of its day, and that wouldn't be an unfair comparison. The game was punishing and unforgiving. Often the traps could never be predicted, nor would any help be given to navigate them. This game was designed to make you die. A lot. There were very few save points in the game, and at the end of a level you would receive a level code enabling you to pick up where you left off. It was a game of trial and error, a threat around every corner that would brutally kill you or under your feet. Either way, this game wanted to kill you, all the time, and it wasn't an easy ride. So, as the story unfolded, and you delve down further into the depths of the labyrinth, and after you have unravelled the mystery of Mordom's disappearance, there is a sense of achievement that you can be taken with you, for you do not play the immortal, you survive the immortal. I have been your host, Glenn Fandango, and thank you for joining me this week. There is an essay version of this podcast over on my website, that's www.glennfandango.com, and I hope you come back soon.